I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as we go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Welcome to another episode of the Executives Exchange. Get ready to be inspired as we delve into the remarkable journey of Marilyn Gardner, the esteemed president and CEO of Navy Pier. Join us as Marilyn opens up and shares her lifelong commitment to fostering connections and celebrating the vibrant cultural tapestry of Chicago. Discover the legacy of Navy Pier and the incredible impact it has had on the city. This is a conversation you won't want to miss. Today, we have a special guest with us who has an incredible story to share. She has been instrumental in transforming Chicago's iconic Navy Pier into the cultural hub for the city. I'm also proud to call her a friend. Please welcome the president and CEO of Navy Pier, Marilyn Gardner. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, Margaret. Thank you so much for including me on your podcast. I look forward to a great chat. I know. We're so excited you're here. It's a pleasure to have you on our show. We're neighbors. I'm at home today. It looks like you're at the pier. I'm I'm at the pier today. <laughs> Most I was days. downtown and then I had to run back here because this is my studio setup. I was coming in hot on two wheels. I like logged in with two <laughs> minutes to spare, but I made it. Um, where do share with everyone where we live in the city? Where do you live? Um, we live in the North Center. Uh, neighborhood of Chicago. So near north, right around Irving and Damon. Great little family-focused neighborhood. It is. It's really great. And I'm just just down the road from you. I'm actually on the street that's the divider between near north and Lakeview. And so on the west side of the street, we're in one ward. And on the east side of the street, there are another ward. So it's like this, this weird divider. So I'm technically north center now with you. So which ward are you? We're 47. So yeah. So we just got redistricted to the Uptown Ward, which I think is oh. 46. So I was 47th. I was okay. Matt Martin. And then now we just got redistricted. We're like this little weird little hook on the... So you see the ward map and then there's right. this really weird... It's almost like when you see the map of Chicago and you're like, what is that? Oh, that's O'Hare. There's like this little right. thing and then right. this blip. That's what we are to the 46th so ward. All right. The little hook. Or the little hook. So tell us, where'd you grow up? I actually grew up in the near west suburb of River Forest, but I spent a ton of time in the city growing up and ended up uh, choosing St. Ignatius College Prep in the heart of the city as uh, my high school. What made you choose Ignatius? Well, I lived actually a block from Trinity High School where my sister attended. My brothers all went yes. to Fenwick. Yeah. And I was just drawn to the fact, um, first off, first and foremost, that the that Ignatius had just begun welcoming girls the mm-hmm. year prior to me going into high school. And I thought I'd give it a shot. I ended up taking the entrance exam and distinctly remember sitting in the gym waiting to um, be called into different rooms to take the exam. And it was just a sea of diversity. And it was something that I never truly had the opportunity or felt like I would have the opportunity to see in uh, my hometown and at Trinity. Um, So it was just so appealing to me. I knew from that minute that that was the place for me. And the rest is history. 
Well, and now my man. children, my children have had the opportunity to also attend Ignatius and um, it's just been truly a gift. Were they given a choice? <laughs> they were. Uh, they attended public school through eighth grade and ended up same thing, took the test at Ignatius, fell in love with it. And uh, that's where, and, and truly it's been so impactful for them as well. And they, it's just been a great space for them as well. Yeah. So you've had a love of Chicago ever since you were young. What are yes. some of your cherished childhood experiences in Chicago? What's some of your favorite Like memories? I said, I grew up in the suburbs, but we spent so much time in the city. My uh, mother in particular is a big lover and supportive, supporter of arts and culture in our city. So we were constantly visiting museums, um, the museums, we attended theater, um, ballet, music, musical performances, you name it. If there was something happening in the city, um, my mother would bring us down to the city. And she still, to this day, um, at 85, has season tickets to the Lyric and um, to the opera, to the symphony. She, and spends a lot of time at Steppenwolf and Chicago Shakespeare Theater, of course. Wow, so of course. it was just ingrained in us at an early age uh, to experience all the cultural riches of our city. Um, but also we were very engaged in sports. I swam competitively and played tennis competitively. Um, so I think that's part of who I am. I yeah. um became very, I'd call it self-driven through my athletic experiences. And then we were also going back to um, music. We were all required. I was one of six. I was the fourth of six children. And we were all required to um, play, take piano lessons and select another instrument. And I chose the string bass. So I played in the, um, in the orchestra in my, at my junior high school. Um, I probably can play a note either on the piano or the string bass uh, at this time, but it was certainly um, an experience that really, I think, impacted my love uh, for arts and culture. And then yeah. we also, my family, um, though we didn't travel to a ton of different places, we did travel as a family to um, Colorado and to Florida and we loved road trips together. And so just the family unit and bringing people together, I think um, is something that became ingrained in me. And then I guess finally too, just when I think about my childhood, I think about the role models that I have in my parents. And my dad was truly one of the hardest working people I've ever known to this day. And my mother, committed herself to volunteering um, to an organization that remains very, um, very important to our family. And um, because my youngest brother has epilepsy and for the past 25 years, my mother and a, it actually started with a small group of women, moms sitting around the kitchen table um, out of desperation, um, looking to find a cure for epilepsy. And they started an organization called Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. 
And actually, by the time this podcast airs, my mother will have received the inaugural Founders Award at their 25th anniversary gala. Oh, so, that's uh, and now I serve on the board. She's uh, since retired from the board, um, but still remains engaged with the research committee. Um, and now I have the privilege of serving on that board and as a second generation uh, family member. So I'm very proud of that. My gosh, you could tell how much your childhood influenced everything. I mean, no surprise that you're now CEO of one of our leading cultural institutions. Your mom must be thrilled. Oh, she is. She's very proud, very proud and um, always willing to offer advice and suggestions about things that we can be doing to advance the mission of <laughs> As the people's fear and advice and suggestions. Yes, yes. (laughs) So the road trips are great too. We took road trips as families. It's so different now. Like we never got on an airplane. I don't think I was on an airplane until I think 16, 17 to to go somewhere. I mean, that's what we did. You piled up the van, you drove to vacation and we were in two weeks a year. Yeah. 24 hours in the station wagon. In the way back. Yep. In the way back. (laughs) Which was the best part. No (laughs) seatbelts. Best part of the station wagon. So um, have you been at Navy Pier most of your career? Where did you start? Oh, um, I started out of college. My first job in Chicago was with Margie Korshak and Associates, a public relations firm. And I was laid off a year and a half in. I was part of the fashion department at Margie Korshak. And um, due to financial constraints, they ended up having to eliminate the most junior role in every department. And my role was eliminated. I was absolutely crushed, but now I share the story always when I speak um, in particular to groups of young people about to pursue careers because that it was truly a gift. I assure you, had I not been laid off, I would literally still be sitting there typing press releases on a typewriter because I love that job so much. And I am so grateful now um, that it put me, that being laid off put me on the trajectory of pursuing the next role that I had um, with a small PR firm. And when my boss closed that firm, Five years in, she took me and our clients to a bigger firm, and that firm was just not a fit. Uh, So I pursued what then was really an unknown. Navy Pier had not yet been redeveloped. So in my mind, when I was asked to interview for this role, for the role of assistant director of PR for Navy Pier, um, it was Frankly, I ended up taking quite a leap of faith because the pier was then uh, really just a bunch of dilapidated sheds uh, that ran the entire length of the pier uh, to the Grand Ballroom, which had been uh, renovated for the Bicentennial. And so it was, there were plans, but the plans were not yet put into motion when I was hired. And Um, I had the opportunity to join the team, the development team uh, for Navy Pier in 1994. And 
led the efforts to promote what was happening with the development. And I had the good fortune of being included in the architecture meetings, the um, construction meetings. So really knew every element of the pier because I was the one telling the story of what was to come and um, was proud to be part of that initial transformation. But it's interesting. Uh, you know, I talked about how I swam as a child. I've always been drawn certainly to water, but when I started at Margie Korshak, one of the clients at Korshak was the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition Authority. And they had the responsibility of managing McCormick Place and making the plans to redevelop Navy Pier. So I do, do recall seeing the materials. I was in a different department, but I you know, helped. We always jumped in and helped collate things. And Navy mm -hmm. Pier was part of that narrative. And then fast forward six years later, I'm hired to lead the PR efforts at the pier. So it all came full circle. It all comes full circle. Yeah. So a lot of people may not know the history of Navy Pier. I want to start with, give us an overview of what lies beneath Lake Michigan and <laughs> Navy Pier. What's beneath? under there? Well, a very rich history, uh, and we'll get to that. But the pier was originally built on wood literally wood timbers that were driven into the lake bed. So um, there are wood timbers below the pier um, that were, so the pier was originally constructed between 1914 and 1916. And it's so fascinating uh, that those timbers are in pristine condition. We check them every three years and because they're submerged in water, they are in pristine condition. So they hold up the bulk of the pier. But then as we've redeveloped the pier, uh, we have added um, concrete caissons. So the yeah. pier is actually a pier. You could potentially swim under the pier, but it's reinforced with um, concrete caissons. So that's what sits below the pier. Um, but like I said, it has an incredibly rich history. So why was um, it originally built? What did they build it for? The pier originally opened in 1916 as the only pier in the world to combine shipping and recreation. And in a sense, though we don't, we're not, we don't serve as a shipping port. We do um, have some of the same um, activities that the pier was utilized for in the 20s when we call it or when it was referenced as uh, the pier's golden years. So the ballroom at the east end of the pier was utilized for um, ballroom dancing. Mm -hmm. uh, the pier was a place to gather. Um, the pier actually, the summer that it opened, it was supposed to open um, July 4th weekend, but it was so hot. That summer, the people, and there was no air conditioning, so right. people came down here and they slept out on the east end of the pier. So imagine that. Um, but the pier in the, you know, in the 20s had cruise boats. 
So dining cruises, just like we have today, tour boats, um, but it was truly a place for recreation. And the pier, um, many might know, was envisioned as part of Daniel Burnham's 1909 plan for Chicago. Um, but there were five piers planned and Navy oh, wow. Pier was the only one that was ever built. Yeah. The sleeping out there, I mean, my dad tells these stories. He's 86. He grew up in Bucktown and he said they would take um, the rail car down to North yes, Avenue Beach and sleep on the beach because yes. it was just really hot. That's what you would do. Go sleep yes. on the beach. Could you even imagine? Can't yeah. imagine. Well, and over the years, the pier has served so many different purposes. It served as a home for the American Red Cross during World War II. It served as a Navy training facility. Um, there was flight training conducted on two aircraft carriers out in the lake off of Navy Pier. And um, one was called the Wolverine, one was called the Sable. And uh, we named our hotel, the hotel at Navy Pier, after the Sable. So that's, oh, why, that's why the Sable, the Sable. That's at great. Navy Pier. Um, but truly a rich history. It served as the um, temporary home for University of Illinois prior to Circle Campus opening. And those who attended uh, Navy Pier, University of Illinois at Navy Pier fondly call or refer to U of I at Navy Pier as Harvard on the Rocks. Oh. And they tell stories of snow coming through um, the windows and having to ride, wear roller skates to get from one end of the pier to the other for their classes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my aunt went there, so she would be, I guess, 82 or something. But she that's where she went to college was so UIC great. on the pier. There's so you know? many with terrific stories. And, and that's what we find so many people have such fond memories of Navy Pier from their youth or from school, like you said, or attending events. And I actually, my very first memory of Navy Pier was um, Chicago Fest in yes. 1981. And I, as a high school, between my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I came with friends to Chicago Fest. We paid $5 to see John Prine on a floating stage. And wow. I just remember thinking how incredible this place was that yeah. gathered people together. And there were just thousands and thousands of people and, um, you know, truly my first memory and something that I'll always cherish. And I, I certainly would have never imagined that so many years later I'd be here in this role. Yeah. My first memory is kind of similar. Also in the early mid eighties, it was Italian fest. Oh, so yes. we would go down there and it was just all like Italian food vendors and music and everything. It was this, this big thing. And, uh, that's what I remember, but it did feel like a bunch of dilapidated old shacks. Like you went into there and it just was this like warehouse feel. So when did it start to become what we all would recognize as today? How did that come to be? I was hired in 1994 and it was on the, I was hired on the heels of a worldwide design competition uh, that the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition Authority had launched to think about what the pier could be for the future. 
1995, the pier opened after its initial redevelopment. And um, the experts at the time told us that we would draw three and a half to four million people at peak. And that number was exceeded in the first full year of operations. And for the past 20 or so years, we have drawn more than 8 million guests on an annual basis. But the pier that many people might think of um, from the past, the pier of the 90s, the pier of the early 2000s, today's pier is a much different pier. Uh, That pier far exceeded anyone's expectations. Uh, Not only did we attract the three and a half million, but we attracted eight million. And as we move forward and into um, the 2000s, it became abundantly clear that many of the um, waterfront developments like Faneuil Hall, South Street Seaport, Baltimore's Inner Harbor, the waterfront developments that Navy Pier was modeled after were falling into um, disuse and the pier had become more carnival-like and more of a tourist destination. So in 2010, And we did another, we brought the Urban Land Institute in to help us think about what the pier could be for the future. And one of their key recommendations was that the pier needed its own champion in the way of a board. And um, we created the independent nonprofit that now leads Navy Pier. And I had the honor of leading the transition from the quasi-governmental agency of MPEA to the independent nonprofit in 2011. And um, we have since led a complete transformation of the peer to ensure that the peer become the cultural hub and that it is today and um, that it be truly uniquely Chicago. I think in the past you could have taken the pier and maybe put it anywhere, but mm-hmm. now with the redevelopment, it truly is a showcase or a platform for what's best in Chicago and the yeah. way of dining experiences, uh, flavors of the neighborhoods from our neighborhood markets. And we've become an incubator for local entrepreneurs and um, it's just become what was always intended. And I think what Daniel Burnham envisioned when he called it the people's beer. Yeah, for sure. So at that time in 2011, did it split from McCormick Place? Were you in charge of both? And then did they split off or how did that work? Yes. So um, so the pier was originally um, part of the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition Authority. In 2011, I led the transition from the quasi-governmental agency to an independent nonprofit. In 2010, so McCormick the, Place was never part of it. No, no. Oh, I don't know why I thought at one point in the history so they're kind of combined. Originally, so MPEA was created in 1989 to manage McCormick Place and redevelop Navy Pier. Mm, got it. And the pier originally, I'll say, needed a rich parent to take care of it. But as the pier, once the pier was developed or opened in 1995, like I said, exceeded anyone's expectations for um, being a successful 
hub for gathering people. And in 2011, we created the independent nonprofit to ensure that the peer had its own champion, created right. a board and leadership that would take the peer into its second century and ensure that it be um, preserved as the people's peer, yep. as a free and welcoming space to celebrate Chicago. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Shore Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shore microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shore lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. So Navy Pier, like many organizations, had to temporarily close during the pandemic. Uh, We all did. How bad was it for you? Well, as you might imagine, with 90% of our revenues earned from our operations, the revenue completely stopped. So all of our income dried up. uh, And then that 10% that we raised through philanthropy and partnerships, that also was severely at risk. We have 70 partner tenants that operate on the pier, including nonprofits, Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Chicago Children's Museum, WBEZ Radio. And in order to ensure that those organizations and the shops, restaurants, boats uh, that operate on the pier to ensure that they didn't um, fail or risk having to shut up completely. We ended up providing rent relief and then we leaned into fundraising like we had never before. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, the nonprofit board was created in 2011. At the time it had only uh, 14 board members, and there wasn't necessarily the um, cultural of philanthropy at the time among the board. And so we have dramatically changed that. We've grown the board to a 33-member board, and together we leaned in during the pandemic, and we ended up raising nine and a half million dollars from individuals, foundations, and corporations solely to reopen the pier. Yeah, that's good. And it was really striking during those conversations to share the impact that the pier has on so many. So among the 70 businesses that operate, there are about 3,000 employees. During the summer months, Navy Pier hires about 200 young people from the south and west side of Chicago. And when I think about the, and I mentioned the entrepreneurs who work at the pier, we literally went into the neighborhoods to find the best cupcakes, the best Mexican food, um, you name it. But the 70 businesses, many are the independent neighborhood operators and we knew they wouldn't be able to get through the pandemic without our support 
So the community and our board stepped in, stepped up, and really helped get us through to ensure the peers continued success. Yeah. And go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. I, well, I remember you and I had lunch outside on the yes. pier right when things yeah. started opening up again. So I'm just curious, when did you decide to come back? Because a lot of the pier is outside. So that helps with some of it. But did you come back earlier than others, right on yes. track with others later? What were some of the key decisions when you were navigating that whole thing? We were the first to reopen. Um, we were the first public space in Chicago to reopen. So in, throughout the pandemic, uh, credit to the incredible team at the pier, we really led the way um, for others and uh worked very closely with city leadership and state leadership. And um, I'll acknowledge to the state and we ended up getting a lot of state support and federal support in our efforts to reopen. But we were able to, because we have such vast open space at the pier, we were able to um, open earlier and it, we were, like I said, the first to reopen and we had measures in place to ensure um, that social distancing mm -hmm. was um, something that we were able to accommodate. And people were just ready at the time to um, be outside. And right. so one of the greatest silver linings that came out of the pandemic was um, when we were challenged by the Pritzker Foundation, to mark the reopening of Chicago in a meaningful way. And what we did was we recognized that the performing arts organizations of our city were the first to be shuttered right. and the last to reopen. So we created what we now proudly call Chicago Live, which um, provided a platform and a stage for bringing artists and audiences together for the first time after 18 months of closure. Yeah. And because we have these vast, beautiful open spaces, we had 60 performances or performing arts organizations who performed back to back on our stages over a two day period. And it, it brought the artists and audiences together, but it also created collaboration between the performing arts organizations and brought the stage workers um, and the technical workers back to work after that painful closure. Yeah. So that is something that we continue and we're planning for our third annual Chicago Live, um, which again, this had never been done anywhere mm -hmm. in this country as far as we know. And it's something that um, together with the Pritzker Foundation, we are committed to continuing on a moving forward basis. And we know that it can be Chicago's answer to um, South by Southwest or our Art Basel. So it's something that we're extremely proud of and it fulfills our mission, Navy Pierce's mission as a cultural hub to uplift so many other organizations and entities. Right. And we saw the gamut of Joffrey Ballet to um, Black Ensemble Theater to um, Puerto Rican Arts Alliance and Hubbard Street Dance, the Lyric, um, 
the you name it. So the top marquee names to some of the um, many emerging artists here in Chicago, uh, Chicago Sintonada. It's just it's so gratifying to see what we were able to create out of our yeah. existential crisis. Yeah, that's really great. So what are your projections for the summer? Do you expect summer to be right back to pre-pandemic levels? Not quite. What are you thinking? Well, we are thrilled to see that uh, first quarter of 2023, our attendance exceeded our 2019 attendance for that same period. Oh, that's great. Nearly 25%. That's great. So we are confident that our summer will be incredibly, it'll be incredibly popular. Well, I can see people thinking like with my kids too, like I haven't been to the pier in a while and I haven't brought my kids in a while. So I could see there being this huge surge back of like, let's get down there. Let's do this. Right. And we keep hearing from guests who have come in the past few months that the pier is just so vibrant and they are rediscovering the pier in new yeah, ways. Right. And, and it keeps changing. Yeah. So that's what's great too. Has. You may have been there a few years ago, but you know, it's different now. And, and as your kids grow, you there are different the things right for you to do there. Yeah. Well, it's true. And like, as your kids grow, then, you know, there are different things for you to do there. You may start out the children's museum, but then you'll evolve to taking them to um, Shakespeare theater and, you know, all the things down the line. Yeah. So the pier that you think you knew, right. if you haven't been to the pier in the past five years, it's a completely different pier. Absolutely. So everyone should go check out the pier this summer. Yes. Um, my old company, I used to work in that building on Illinois, you know, that warehouse building. So North River, Pier? River East. Yes, North oh, Pier, yes, where, yes. where the Fox Nobel was, where the mm-hmm. um, Target is. So that was Ogden Slip. So I think that was the original shipping before yes. they built Navy Pier for shipping. So that whole building was this warehouse for shipping. And that's where our offices were before they converted it into residences. And mm-hmm. They found the old papers, the contracts, writing up um, the articles of incorporation for that in the building and everything. And there was just a young junior lawyer who was working on that paperwork, Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Isn't that wild? That's amazing. I know. Just, you know, working as like an associate attorney, you know, just writing up contracts. How cool is that? When we have um, actually the original architectural drawings. Now they do architectural drawings on a computer. So right. these are hand very cool. Crafted. So really cool yeah. to have that. But we used to walk down to the pier all the time um, for lunch because there wasn't really again that part of the city had not been developed. It's unrecognizable oh. now. The whole like right. River East is. like so dead. there was nothing. Um and that little beach there we loved. We would go down the beach and right. so I spent beach. a lot of time. Park. Yeah. Really, really neat. So um, how is NASCAR going to affect you? We, so NASCAR, the street race portion is slightly south and west of us. So um, the street closures are certainly something that we're working closely with NASCAR and the city on. Uh, But we're looking forward to welcoming those who come to the city for NASCAR to the pier. We feel that the pier will be a place that uh, NASCAR attendees will want to come to listen to music and sample 
authentically Chicago food. So yeah. we're Are you going to do any pop-ups for like clothing and gear and stuff? I can imagine that would we'll also do see. well. see. I would think that will be part of our um, summer program. Yes. Yeah, I would think so. Um, so public safety really is the topic of the day. We're both city gals, raising our families, yes. sending them to school in the city, uh, living, working here every day, coming downtown. So I know we aren't worried. Um, we're both huge evangelists for raising your yes. kids in the city. But a lot of people are talking about it. Are you finding people hesitant to come downtown? Is your um, I know that your attendance is beating your pre-pandemic projections, but do you have any sense of if it's more city, suburbs? Are you seeing any effect? Well, um, we are seeing that guests are eager to come to the pier because they feel safe here. Oh, interesting. And they share that with us regularly. And I think one of the really important things to note at the pier is we have so many layers of security, starting with dogs. We have um, hundreds of uniformed security guards, a layer of security guards who are armed. We also have um, CPD officers who are off-duty uniformed who patrol the pier. We have a great partnership with the state police. Uh, there are just so many layers of security here. We have high definition, high definition security cameras with facial recognition that are able to um, help us identify and um, mitigate crime. And we've been very successful in doing that. So I think people have a sense of safety and security when they're at the pier and we'll continue to ensure that that's always a priority for us. Right. Welcoming 9 million annual guests, it's our responsibility and we take it very seriously. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't think of that, that they would actually feel safer because it's kind of on this peninsula that's, you know, right. just and, there's, and you can there's drive a benefit it. to the fact that it's one way on, one way off. Yeah, right. And I think we've demonstrated over time, it's just a matter of ensuring that we always have an eye on safety and security of our guests and those and the 3,000 people who work on the pier. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Expo. It just happened. It's one of your yes. coolest events. Um, for people who might not know what it is, I can't imagine there are many, but what is Expo? So Expo Chicago is one of the top art expositions in the country. It brings together, this year it was actually 170 galleries from around the world. And these wow. are the top galleries right. from it's around very cool. the world. And this was what the Expo leadership um, claims was the most global um, exposition. And they drew about 32,000 attendees, including some of the top collectors from around wow. the world uh, for Expo Chicago. And though this was the 10th year of this iteration of Expo Chicago, so the pier has been home to the city's largest art show since the mid 80s. Wow. And yeah, I don't think most in the know past that. 10 years, it's become Expo yeah. Chicago, led by Tony Carmen, who is just. Um, a brilliant operator and so well regarded in the arts community worldwide. So yeah. we're thrilled to have a partnership that will continue on. And it really ensures that the pier 
is not only a world-class destination, but a resource for our community too. This is yeah. the biggest, most prominent art show in our city. That's really neat. I know for anyone who hasn't gone, you should really, really check it out. So um, what are some of the current projects and events you're working on? What's coming up that people may not know about? Well, we are in the midst of launching our first ever Mexico Fest um, that we kick off today. And um, we just opened an exhibition that is not to be missed. We are hosting it, speaking of Abraham Lincoln, in partnership with the Lincoln Library out of Springfield. We just opened the State of Sound. And the State of Sound is an exhibition that features artists, musical artists who hail from our great state. And I must tell you, it is so fascinating. I, there are so many that I didn't know came from Illinois and different genres of music, like house music, as we know, was um, got its start in Chicago. Yeah. There is background information on that. It's just a beautifully done exhibition that showcases uh, artists from throughout our state. And that's not to be missed. That will be here all summer long. And as everyone might imagine and be looking forward to, we start our summer fireworks, our twice weekly fireworks, Memorial Day weekend. And they'll continue every Wednesday and Saturday throughout the summer. And uh, we have our programming, our arts and culture programs. Uh, we host about 300 arts and culture programs throughout the year. And this summer, like every summer, we'll host our movies in Polk Brothers Park on the Lake Lawn. Um, on Monday evenings, jazz on Friday evenings, and uh, the Live on the Lake kicks off with performances in the beer garden all summer long. So um, just not to be missed. Any, there's always something happening at Navy Pier and you'll see that every yeah. day throughout the summer season. And thanks to our millions of guests, Navy Pier was named the best place to view fireworks in USA Today's Reader's Poll. So we are incredibly grateful to the millions who have come to view the fireworks here at Navy Pier. And we look forward to hosting the world at Navy Pier every Wednesday and Saturday for our incredible fireworks shows all summer long. One thing I forgot to mention is that um, Sal GP is returning to Navy Pier on Father's Day weekend. What's Sal GP? So SailGP is an international high-speed sailing competition. And there are 10 teams from around the world that compete. And if you're thinking sailboat racing, like watching sailboat with a white sail um, moving along, or along the waterfront, that's not it. These are sailboats that are they hydrofoil over the water okay. and can go up to 60 miles an hour. It's one of the most exciting um, sports to watch. 
and Navy Pier becomes like a waterfront stadium. And it's viewable between Navy Pier and the shed um, from the east end of the pier. And it's absolutely spectacular and really an exciting um, competition to watch. So that is Father's Day weekend here at the pier. Oh, fun. Well, that's my other second early memory of the pier. My dad had a sailboat. I was probably like 10 or 11. And we were sailing and my grandma and grandpa are standing on the edge of the pier. And we just were sailing by. And notice them and they're waving. Oh, it's like, oh, he's like, we should go, let's go tie up over there and say hi. And that was the worst decision we ever could have made. We slammed (laughs) because you cannot tie up on the pier, by the way. That's just not something that you do. We we, totally damaged the boat. It was really, really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not not a good call. (laughs) So I've also slammed a boat into the edge of Navy Pier. Well, there we go. Claim to fame. so, so many people think of Navy Pier as a destination, and you've alluded to this a little bit in the interview, but I know you've been working really hard to bring our 77 neighborhoods to life on the pier. So just tell us a little bit more about how you're doing this and how the pier is more than a destination and really this you know, activator and integrator of all of our city's neighborhoods. We intentionally went into the neighborhoods to find entrepreneurs to populate our spaces, to bring the spaces to life. Um, As far as merchandise goes, we went into the 77 neighborhoods. We found the best um, um, created partnerships with entities that really showcase what's truly best in Chicago. And we've taken it a step further in recent years in hosting neighborhood markets where There might be a candle maker, for instance, or jewelry maker in a neighborhood who wouldn't have the ability to um, create or pay rent for a year-long lease. So we've created neighborhood markets where um, on on weekends throughout the year, we bring in, for instance, Pilsen or Englewood and they bring a collection of different um, purveyors that you would see in the neighborhood. So we've created that platform for local entrepreneurs to broaden their audiences. Yeah, right. And help and grow their businesses. To experience, yes, and to experience what it's like to um, operate in a space that draws so many people. Yeah. And what's really been fascinating is that those operators, those entrepreneurs, together here at the pier, it becomes really like a neighborhood in and of itself. And some of the um, more permanent operators have become mentors to those who are not here on a long-term basis. And it's really been so rewarding to see, and that's really part of fulfilling our mission is providing those opportunities to our partners and vendors, just like we do on the performing arts side with the thousands of artists who um, have the opportunity to perform in our spaces, but then they're broadening their audiences and they're um, working alongside other entities um, who maybe have more experience and can help guide them along the way. And that's part of us fulfilling our mission as a cultural hub and as a resource for the community. 
Yeah. Oh, that's really great. So congratulations on everything that you have done to transform what is arguably one of our city's greatest treasures on top of everything that you're doing, running 250 programs for 9 million attendees and the work that you're doing with Cure Epilepsy. You're also the vice chair of Choose Chicago. You know, we just had Lynn Osmond on the podcast a few weeks ago, so you're in good company. But tell me a little bit of the things that the city is working on to bring tourism back. Well, we are working together um, not only on things like SALGP through the Chicago Sports Commission, um, which, as I mentioned earlier, is an international sailing competition, but uh, we also just recently secured uh, the DNC for um, 2024. And those who were here in 1996, Uh, when Navy Pier hosted the opening party. There were millions of people visiting for the event. It's just a great way to showcase our incredible city. And as you and all of your um, partners know, there is no better city in the world. And we're working hard at Choose Chicago and in partnership with entities like the Executives Club to ensure that we're all getting the word out and sharing with the world that there really is no better place than Chicago. We all need to be chief marketers of the city, right? It's not just Michael Fosnock's job, it's all of our job. And when we're speaking publicly, and sure the city has its problems and there are things for us to talk about, but when we're out there in the public, talking to the outside world, like it's our all of our jobs to promote Chicago. We feel the same way. All of us to come together to ensure that we're sharing that story and that we're working together when government, labor, and the corporate world come together. That's when we really thrive. I know. We've really let our narrative get away from us. You and I have talked about this before. Like It's just such a shame. We really need to reclaim our narrative and trying to figure out how we can best do that because we're letting other people tell our story and that isn't even our story, you know? And it's incumbent on all of us who love this city so much to be the ambassadors and be the advocates for what we know is the greatest city in the world. Absolutely. So you've had some major transformations at Navy Pier, um, the hotel, the restaurant, I mean, all these great things. Anything else big on the horizon in the next few years? We have a few new attractions that we were able to secure during the pandemic. When we were literally closed, we had um, attractions that came to the table and are now currently under construction. So flyover is an experience that will open in 2024 that is literally gives you the feeling, the exhilarating feeling of being in a hang glider flying over the city of Chicago. Oh, cool. So if you've ever been to soaring at Disney World or to fly over Iceland or fly over Canada, uh, it will simulate the experience of flying over the city, through the skyscrapers, and over our incredible lakefront. And then they will also um, showcase the other cities and destinations that the four other destinations that flyover showcases and there will be educational elements to it as well so 
We're really excited about that. And then we also have a luminarium, which will be a 360 degree experience with sights, sounds, smells, um, and that will transport our guest to places like the moon or a safari in Africa. And we're really excited about that because we think about, you know, a young child, you had mentioned people growing up at the pier and think about, a, you know, a young boy aspiring to be an astronaut and then actually going to the moon. So yeah. we're thrilled uh, to provide that platform and to have some new amenities that are coming to the pier that um, will be a terrific draw. I mean, VR is just amazing, isn't it? Like it allows you to experience this world that like you never would have access to before. It's really, really incredible. Very exciting. So the last thing we like to do are these rapid fire questions. Uh, I've got, I don't know, maybe 10 of them or so. Don't think about them too much. Just first answer that comes in your mind. Okay. Favorite snack at Navy Pier. Oh, that's a tough one because there are so many. Uh, the fried okra at Art Smith's uh, Reunion Restaurant. And uh, I'd say a cold brew with salted caramel, cold, cold foam topper gets me through most of my days. Ooh, very nice. Favorite Chicago sports team? That's a tough one, too. I'm all sports. How about I that? I know. You um, love sports. Grew up on the Sox, but uh, am now a Cubs fan living on the north side. <laughs> at a sports game hot dog or burger polish polish even better. yes really with good. onions yes <laughs> now that you've been married for a while no big deal right. exactly not always great for a date <laughs> true Very favorite true. restaurant in chicago art smith reunion at navy pier the newest to the collection of incredible restaurants at Navy Pier. And get the fried okra. Yes. Favorite emoji on your cell phone? Well, come on, Margaret. That, of course, is the Ferris wheel. Oh, is that what you use all the time? Yes. Oh, that's great. Yes, that's so iconic for you. You know, I never use that. Well, I'm going to start using it. Start. Yes, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That is totally your emoji. Right? Sweet or salty? Salty, 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 all the way. Me too. Beach or mountains? Mountains, without hesitation. Favorite book? I would say The Shack, The Alchemist, or Where the Crawdads Sing. It depends on what I need at the time. Yep, depending on your mood. Early bird or night owl? Early bird, absolutely. Coffee or tea? Coffee, coffee, coffee. All day. When Multiple do you stop? Times a day. When do you stop drinking it? What time? I don't need to stop drinking it. I you drink it all the way till bedtime. At, I finished one at ten o'clock last night and went to bed at eleven. That's amazing. I can drink it anytime. I had a college roommate who could do that. I like after ten o'clock, I'm done. I cannot do it. I can't have any. That's no, I'm good. I've got two with me right now. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Marilyn. Thank you for everything that you've done for Navy Pier, everything you do for our great city, everything you've done for Cure Epilepsy. I hope that everyone listening goes and checks out the pier this summer and ongoing, even after summer. It's not just for the summer, right? The pier is all year round. Year and round, absolutely. We'll see you around. Thank you, Margaret. 
That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org.